millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. He koonai ipurangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. What do 45 men from a small Vanuatu island have to do with the survival of Aotearoa's fruit industry? Well, a lot, it turns out. It was the early 2000s, and the orchards and vineyards of central Otago were heavy with fruit. Peaches, cherries and grapes were all ready to be plucked, boxed and shipped all over the world. But there was a problem. There weren't enough people to pick them. Hiring backpackers and students on holiday was the usual practice, but it was risky, says the man behind Mount Difficulty Wines, James Dicey. I remember a Swedish backpacker who turned up, I did the paperwork, gave him his tools, trained him. Uh, he spent two and a half days with me, got enough money to go uh, get on the juice in Queenstown and do a bungee jump, and he disappeared. For Basil Goodman, another local grower, the staff shortage was getting demoralising. For two or three years, get to a stage where we did not harvest all the fruit we grew. You put your whole year's work into you know, a box of beautiful-looking peaches or nectarines and apricots, and, and then they just don't quite get to the box. But then Basil and a couple of others came up with a bright idea. Kia ora, I'm Eva Corlett, and this episode of Eyewitness is all about how a small pilot project grew into an ambitious overseas worker scheme. It took an industry from rot to riches, and it also changed thousands of lives across the Pacific. My name is Basil Arthur Goodman. I have lived in Cromwell since 1985. Basil knows a thing or two about growing fruit. Last month, he retired after a lifetime in the industry, just a few weeks before his 80th birthday. We're sitting in his living room in Cromwell, next to his grisly old parakeet. He's all right. He won't, he won't bite you. <laughs> Does he have a name? He's been, no, he's been around a long time. So the bird may not be named, but Basil's name is on awards and certificates across his walls. Pride of Place is a photo of the Bledisloe Cup given to him for all of those years of outstanding work in horticulture. And yes, it does exist. And yes, that is its name. He remembers that night very well. Sitting next to me, the Sunfruit New Zealand manager, Marie Dawkins, saying, who's going to win it this year, Basil? And my answer was, I'm bucket of fun, I haven't thought about it. And I can tell you that when my name was announced, I just sort of froze in my seat. And Lois, my wife, was halfway to the, to the stage. <laughs> and we caught up. But uh, it was a big moment. And another big moment, starting what's now called the Recognised Seasonal Employer Scheme, or the RSE. The government now leads it, and it's become the biggest formal overseas worker scheme in the country. It has two purposes. One, to fill the labour gap during those busy harvests, but also to boost Pacific economies. Last year, about 12,000 workers took part, mostly from the Pacific. And after years of industry begging government, that cap's going to jump to 16,000 over the next two years. The government hasn't collected full data yet on how much money is being sent back to the islands, 
But to give you an idea, a study from 2014 put the total earnings of just Vanuatu RSC workers at about $130 million that year. And the fruit and wine industries? Well, their exports are worth about $5.5 billion now, more than double what it was in 2005. But that's now. It was all a little bit different about 25 years ago when finding reliable workers was becoming a gamble. You know, you had a window with a peach or nectarine of a piece of fruit being immature to overmature for export was about a window of about a week. So if you didn't do it, you didn't do it, period. You know, getting people was become our, our, our prime focus. That was one of the reasons I left the industry, because it was so frustrating. But he didn't quite leave the industry. Instead, he pulled a bunch of people together to find out what was going on for fruit and wine growers. We needed 5,000 seasonal workers for the coming season. So that was the nucleus of needing to do something together to make it happen. Seasonal Solutions was set up. Its 75 members urged the government to let backpackers from more countries work in New Zealand while on holiday. Because in the early 90s, only visitors from the UK and Japan were granted that visa. Then the company would attract backpackers and set them up with local growers. Within a few years, travellers from all over the world were turning up at the farm gate. It solved the problem for a little while, um, but never quite real. Because then backpackers figured out there was bigger and better money to be made jumping from orchard to orchard. For wine growers, that could get especially tough when the high-paying cherry season rolled around, as James remembers. One of my work colleagues, uh, sort of competitors, lost 20 staff overnight. He had a team of 40 and lost 50% of them overnight. Um, sorry, the cherries are starting, we're out of here, and then lost another 10 the next week. So he was really scratching around to try and um, find people during that time. So the inability to guarantee access to those people after you put the employment in and health and safety and paperwork and all the noise that goes with that these days makes life very difficult as an employer. And the effects of that? Uh, makes it difficult to, for you to have confidence to invest in your business, uh, to invest in machinery to support what you do, uh, and to invest in employing Kiwis as well. So growers were scratching their heads over what to do. And then quite by coincidence, or good fortune, in 2005, Malcolm McPherson, who was the mayor of central Otago at that time, met someone from the World Bank called Dr Manjula Luthria. She talked about an idea that Malcolm liked and he thought Basil might also find it pretty interesting. The lady had just produced a book on labour exports from the Pacific, was keen to make it work, had a budget and offered us 150000 to fund a team of guys from the Pacific to come work in our fruit for a season. He was sold, and it was all go. Seasonal Solutions got sign-off from New Zealand and Vanuatu to go ahead with the trial. And in 2006, 45 men from a bunch of different villages found themselves on a plane to the South Island. I still remember the very first day when they arrived looking slightly startled and jet-lagged and tired because they'd been bussed in from Christchurch overnight. They did a day of getting some shopping organised and um, I told them they'd be starting at 7 o'clock the next morning. The uh, pastoral care people who were with them at the time, making sure that they got integrated into our culture, got them up at four o'clock that morning. And by seven o'clock, a lot of the guys were actually quite sleepy again because they'd been up, they'd packed their lunch, they'd had breakfast and were standing around from five o'clock in the morning ready to go. The first time I came, it was sort of a very surprising experience. 
This is Pete Bumsing, the son of a chief, a father to three, and he was one of those 45 men. It was freezing in the morning, there were snows everywhere, um, entering the vineyards, not knowing what to do. Despite the cold, it worked for Pete, and he's now in his 13th season. That makes him, plus a couple of others, the longest members of the scheme. I'm talking to Pete in a vineyard in Clyde, just outside of Cromwell. The mountains behind us are brindled and beautiful in the sun, and there are a bunch of 21 workers from Vanuatu here to remove new growth from the vines. Just now they're relaxing, taking a lunch break in the shade. Many have been coming back for years, and they're pros now. But back at the start of this, there are a few nerves, because in the past their ancestors were also recruited to work overseas, and some never made it home. In the community, it was a bit scary thinking, is it going to work the same, you know? Uh, We're going to be treated as slaves, as our forefathers were treated. Vanuatu is one of the poorest Pacific Islands. So while the project was good for the growers, it was also created to help Nivans. That's the colloquial name you may hear for people from Vanuatu. So despite those fears, and after sending money home in that first season, it became clear the scheme was working for everyone. We started with um, building um, health facilities, market house, and the improvement of health. You know, some of the families have probably better kitchen, better toilets. But those improvements came at a cost. And for Pete, it was personal. One of my first challenges was being away from the family, which I still call it today, is how to manage distance relationship. It's hard, it's hard. hard. Um, Communicating, it's a bit hard. You know, you you say one word here, they might take different meaning on the other side. So you have to explain what you really mean. And leaving his three kids behind was just as tough. My younger one, that he's now 14. I still remember he was one year old when I first hopped on the plane, came to New Zealand, and when went back home, he didn't know that I was his dad, you know, was afraid of me. For his boss, James Dicey, there were a few teething problems. So lack of ability to cook, lack of understanding uh, how to set bank accounts up. First time some of the guys got their pay slips, they said, this, this tax thing on here, we don't want to pay that. Uh, there is no income tax in Vanuatu. I remember other incidents that occurred at the time in Vanuatu when you go into the bush to go to your farm, your garden... You take a bush knife, which is a handle that's about six inches long, and like a big machete blade, which might be you know, two feet long, uh, and you just whack off the, the vegetation on the way through. And the police were called to an incident in Roxburgh uh, where the chap was doing what he'd normally do in Vanuatu with his great big bush knife, and he was a little startled to be uh, accosted by the boys in blue at the time and some fairly wide-eyed residents about what was going on. And there were some other problems. There was some racism in this environment. The local community took a bit of time to adapt. Um, as a South African, I'm particularly sensitive. We moved to this country in '77 before it became a necessity to leave South Africa. We, my father and mother decided to leave for political reasons because they didn't agree with racism. Uh, and But we're particularly, as South Africans, working with people of colour, uh, very sensitive to it. But that wasn't the only reaction. Nearly all Nevans are Christian, and the Cromwell churches jumped at the chance to boost their congregations. But again, 
not all of the community was so welcoming. The first time we came, you could see the reactions that oh, where these guys came from, what they are doing here. They might be taking some of the chops for the kiwis. Then Pete and his crew found a way to break the ice. We asked for the community to come and just watch the boys sing and do some tremors and then we came with costumes and when we displayed who we are, I think that's when we start building the connection to the community. And now? They understand that it's not just for our benefits, but it's for the communities as well. Some of the community have since visited the families in Vanuatu. But going back to the end of that first season, the workers had money and the fruit had been picked. Basil remembers the day the men left. They were so suspicious of banks, they withdrew all of their earnings. The day that aeroplane leaves Skychurch Airport, it's got a million dollars worth of folding money in those boys' back pockets. To all involved, the pilot was a great success. Growers queued up to take part here and back in Vanuatu, men put up their hands to join. The year after, the government picked up the scheme and made a special visa category just for it so that 5,000 workers could sign up. There have been some problems as the scheme has grown and changed. Some workers have been exploited. Others have not been given adequate housing. Some haven't been paid properly or been given good safety gear. And there is a fear that jobs aren't going to Kiwis. Those issues remain, and advocates are fighting to make sure things are done by the book. But for Pete Bumsing and his community, the programmes have made a big difference back home. In some of the communities, you'll see lights everywhere, solar panels, good resilient houses that can survive through cyclones and earthquakes and sending kids to good schools for education. That, to me, has just been a big impact. Basil Goodman has seen it too. Look, from the first time I went to Vanuatu until the most recent time, the housing development, the business confidence and all of those things that are going on is just huge benefit. A lot of countries up there that couldn't enjoy that. James Dicey likes to sum up the RSC with one word. Transformative. It's transformed the Nevans' lives. It's transformed our access to labour here our ability to invest in Kiwis and provide more permanent jobs, our ability to invest in additional hectares and machinery to support that. So transformative. And as for Pete and his wife, well, they made it work. In fact, they've even set up a programme back home to help other families deal with those difficult long-distance relationships. And now the whole family comes for Christmas. Take the kids over, take them around, and then they understand where, where I'm staying... To me, the world is just too small, you know, and, and it helps them as well. If you ask me the question, what makes you keep coming back? I think it's, it's just another home. This episode of Eyewitness was produced by me, Eva Corlett. The engineer is Blair Stagpole. Justin Gregory is the executive producer for Eyewitness. And Tim Watkin is the executive producer for podcasts and series. You can listen to every episode of Eyewitness by subscribing at Apple, Spotify, or by clicking the big green button on our webpage at rnz.co.nz. In the next Eyewitness, Kirsten Johnstone looks back at The Gathering 2000, a dance party on top of a mountain that turned into a mud fest for 15,000 punters. Until then, kia pai pōra.
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.